0: first semester at college, it came time for final exams, and uh, I think I had four or five finals to take that semester, and I want you to know that I slept through one of my finals. Now, it's not like I went to the final, got the test, and slept through it. It's not even like I got up late and was late getting there. I slept through the entire final exam. Um, I don't think there's even a German word for the emotion you feel when you wake up and realize that you have slept through a final exam. I had visions of failing the entire semester and worse yet having to retake the course because it was physical education and I didn't want to do it. So I ran over to the to the building and talked to the coach. He was very kind. Uh, he let me take the final exam with the next section that was just a few minutes later, and uh, so I did get to take the final exam. Very kind of him. I remember one of the questions was, uh, "How wide is the center stripe on a volleyball court?" Does anybody know? Good, I can tell you anything. Three yeah. inches. <laughs> it's three inches. I think it's three inches. But, but anyway, but I slept, you know, s- sleeping can get you into trouble. You know, um, you know Debbie and I always had a, had a saying with us uh, when the boys were that age, and that is, always let a sleeping teenager lie. Don't... <laughs> never ever wake up a teenager and and there's two reasons for that one is they need their sleep they actually need more sleep than than a uh, preschooler and a, and a child so uh, if you if your teenager is sleeping you just arrange for them to get as much sleep as they can and the second reason to let them sleep is while they're sleeping aren't they cute <laughs> and they're not getting into any trouble so anyway but we have a need for sleep. Jesus had the need for rest and for sleep. You remember one time uh, he was actually sleeping in a boat while the wind and the waves were threatening to, to sink it, and the disciples had to run up to him, and they, they woke him up and to say, you know, Jesus, don't you care if we're, if we're drowning? And uh, Jesus got up, and, and of course, if I, if, if, if in that situation, I get up, I'm cranky. You know, I'm like really cranky, short, short-tempered short with the disciples and with the wind and the waves and all that. But Jesus gets up, he stills the storm and all that. But Jesus had a need for sleep. There was a need for sleeping. But sometimes sleeping will keep you from experiencing one of the greatest blessings of God. Jesus took three of his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was arrested And he said, fellas, I'm going to go a little ways off and I'm going to pray, but while I'm there, I want you to watch and I want you to pray. And he went off to pray, and that's where he said, Father, you know, if there's any way possible, if, if this cup can be removed from me, if there's a way to get around the cross, if there's a, if there's a way to work your will and your glory uh, without this, this crucifixion thing, I'd, I'd, I'd just as soon that happened. If, if there's a way, remove the cup from me. But then he said, nevertheless, and your salvation and mine re- revolved around that word, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. One of the most profound and beautiful moments, the intersection of the will of God and the will of man took place in that instant. Jesus went back to his disciples and they were asleep. They slept through the whole thing. They never got a chance to see what it was like to pray at the most critical time of their Savior's life. They never got to see an example of what it was to completely surrender your will to the will of the Father for the sake of the glory of the Father. And they never got to see that because they slept through it. Jesus said, well, if you couldn't watch and wait for an hour, let's, look, you you just stay here. I'm going to do it again. And he went off and he prayed again. And each time he came back, the disciples were asleep. Finally, Jesus said, well, that's all right. That's all right. But they had missed They had missed one of the most profound moments in history because they slept through it. You know, if you go to sleep at the wrong time, you're you're liable to miss something really, really good. Um, Paul was preaching uh, one time, the book of Acts tells us, and he was in a in a room, and it was really crowded, and a lot of people in there, so the temperature kept going up, and it, it was nighttime, and so they had lamps lit, and they were they were putting off the heat, and, and as Paul kept preaching, can you imagine, he preached up until midnight, and right around midnight, there was a guy sitting in a window named Eutyches. He evidently had sat down in the window so he could get a little air coming across, and the script says that Eutyches fell asleep. You see, it's a dangerous thing to fall asleep during a sermon because Eutyches fell out of the window and fell on the ground. They thought he was dead. Don't go to sleep during this sermon. And I'll be done before midnight, so uh, you, you won't have the chance. But, uh, but he missed something great. Paul, of course, went down and, and lifted him up, and he was restored, and uh, happy ending to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just might miss a good sermon if you fall asleep. But there's a way of falling asleep in our spiritual walk with Christ where we miss great things, where we lose out on, on experiencing some mighty work that God would do in our lives. And it happens because we're just sort of uh, in, in a trance. We're just sort of zombie-esque going through life that way. Uh, when, when Paul says that it, it, it's time to wake up from your sleep, the word that he used there for sleep is hypnos. It, it's a word that we get uh, hypnotism from it and hypnotizing. So he says, uh, wake up from your hypnotic trance. You're just sort of going through the motions. Now, some of you commute to work every day that way, Uh, am am I right? I mean, you don't have to admit it to us, but isn't it true that you get out of bed and you do your best not to wake up while you brush your teeth and you get dressed and you get in the car and you're trying not to wake up and you're doing just the minimal amount of attention because you're just sort of doing your best to sleep through the the commute. And uh, that's fine. It's okay because i'm not there (laughs) i got a mile to go and that's it but but you know a lot of times we go through our spiritual life like that we go through a spiritual life trying to do the least amount possible to be as little awake and alert as possible and though we're moving and we're walking it's, it's as if we're sleeping through the best things that god would do in our lives and so Paul says to these Roman Christians, he says, in, in light of everything that I've talked about, about being a Romans 12 Christian, someone who is offering their life as a living sacrifice, their life, a, an act of worship to God, that, that as you're going to do that, I want you to wake up. He says it this way, you know. Besides this, you know the time, you know the the, the the issue at hand, you know how critical this is. That the hour has come for you to wake. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Says that's the kind of time we live in. That our salvation is closer to us now than when we first believed. And, and there, Paul is alluding to the three tenses of salvation. That salvation is past, and it's present, and it's future. He says that. Um, our salvation is nearer there's a salvation to come there's a sense in which when christ comes again he completes that work of salvation and all of creation is redeemed and the glory of god is made manifest and so when christ comes again there's a completion of that salvation process he says that salvation coming from the future is nearer to us now and two thousand years later we can say it's at least two thousand years nearer to us now It may be another 2,000 years. It may be another 20 minutes. It may be two minutes. But our, our salvation that time when we see the glory of God and Christ in his return is closer to us now. And that changes how we live now. There's that future salvation, he says, and it is now. He talks about living in that experience now, where we are now, that future salvation coming toward us closer than when we first believed. Um, Aorist tense, for those of you who care, but it's a a completed action in the past normally. And so Paul says, in the past you believed and there was salvation. In the future there's salvation coming to us. And now we're living in a critical moment of salvation. See, salvation has that present or, or that past tense to it. Paul says, when you believed. See, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you were saved. You were saved at that instant. And the blood of Jesus Christ just washed away all that sin. This is what Paul has been talking about in the book of Romans. You know, he started out and he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That in Jesus Christ, in the story, the gospel of Jesus, God shows what it means to be put right with him and to live a life of godliness and righteousness and holiness. God puts that into our lives. The righteousness of God is revealed to us in the gospel. But then immediately he went on to say, and the wrath of God is revealed. Because we are all sinners, whether the rank pagan, whether the moral philosopher, whether the religious person, we are all sinners. And all of our sin deserves death. The wage of all sin is death. There's none of us righteous. There is no, not even one. But the moment you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God took that sin away. He took that sin off of you, and he put it on Jesus Christ. I was thinking about these things this week I, I 'm not even going to say this is, this is theologically sound, but it sure made sense to me i 'm going to share it with you that what did Jesus do in those days in which the body was in the tomb? I kind of feel like he took our sins and he went to the far side of the universe and he dropped kicked that sin way out into the nothingness of space, so that our sin was taken as far away from us as the east is from the west and we Bear it no more. Oh, my sin. Oh, the the bliss, the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. See, that salvation that we have in Jesus Christ was instantaneous, took place in just an instant It wasn't salvation if you could complete a few steps. It wasn't salvation if you can manage to pay off your debt in purgatory. It wasn't salvation if you can light enough candles, spin spin enough prayer wheels, ring enough bells, say enough prayers. It was not salvation given to us on condition. It is salvation given to us on the spot in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus Christ given to us. It's an instantaneous salvation salvation it is a complete salvation the entirety of life is saved because jesus died for us and it's a permanent salvation it cannot be taken from us jesus said all that the father gives me come to me he says i take each one and he said you know something if the father gives them to me i don't lose them i don't lose track of them I don't lose them through negligence. I don't lose them because they're squirming in my hand like, a, like a, a, a squirmy little boy, but rather I hang on to them in the hollow of my hand and no one can pluck them out of my hand that salvation is secure for us. And so there's a past tense to salvation. I pray that you have experienced that. Perhaps you've experienced that in, in a dramatic way like a Paul on the road to D- Damascus. Maybe you experienced that a radical turnaround from going opposed to God in everything, consciously just willfully sinning against the will of God and been turned around. Maybe you received the grace of God such as an experience like a John Wesley who sat in Aldersgate. church church, and as he listened to uh, the preacher read the preface, Luther's preface to Romans, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed, and I felt that I did believe in Jesus Christ. By the way, notice the past tense there. It's something that happened to Wesley. Or maybe you experienced the gospel come into your life as a child growing up in church and it just seemed like the most natural thing in the world. And, and as you've grown, the, the, the things of God and the things of Christ have just uh, uh, become more and more dear and precious to you. But I pray that you have come to know salvation through faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the moment you believed, you're saved. But there's also a present tense to This salvation. Paul says, now this is where we are. We're we're on the other side of that first believed experience and we're waiting for the completion of salvation experience. And now we're in that that central spot there. There's an ongoing work. This is something that we miss so often. It's something that the readers of Romans, you remember Paul's friend, it's something that he missed because he heard, he said, Oh, you're telling me if I believe in Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. and, And that's just too easy. It, it, it can't be just that easy because if he just forgives our sins and all we have to do is believe, then why don't we just sin? We'll sin and then Jesus will forgive us and God will be more gracious. So why don't we sin so that grace may abound? And Paul said, well, I don't think you quite got the concept because God not only saves us, he works a work of salvation in our lives. And when you come to Christ... That salvation experience is is symbolized by baptism. And, and, And in baptism, you're put under the water, and that's to remind everybody that Jesus Christ died for your sins. The old man of sin is put to death. That's what Paul says baptism looks like. And so you go under the water, and that's the old man of sin put to death because Jesus died and was buried for our sins. And as you come up out of the water, it proclaims, God raised Jesus from the dead. He is risen. He is alive. Forevermore. And because Jesus is risen, now we are raised to newness of life in Christ. And so now we walk in Christ and we breathe in Christ and we move in Christ. Everything about our lives is in Christ. And now the present tense of our salvation is to live in a newness of life in Jesus Christ. That's why sin is incompatible with our lives. Yes, I know we struggle with it. Yes, I know we stumble. Yes, I know that we have our problems with it. But here's the thing we are redeemed, we're the children of God. And it is anathema to us. The Holy Spirit will come and convict you. The Holy Spirit will come and just prick your conscience and and show you where you're straying off and will make you unhappy and miserable as a child of God, unhappy if you're living an ungodly life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul said in in, in Romans chapter 6, he said, Look, we can't just accept sin as normal because this present tense of salvation has got to be intentional. It's something that we actually think about. It's something that we actually commit ourselves to do, not to earn salvation, but to thank and to praise and glorify God because of the salvation he has given to us in Christ. It's an intentional work. It's an ongoing work. It's something we know that we'll be doing uh, in in our entire journey here on earth, and we never arrive, but we encourage one another and and we support one another. But it's an ongoing work and an ongoing kind of life, but it's a purposeful life. It's a life of salvation that's trying to look more and more like Jesus every day. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8? He said, look, those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of God. Those that God decided, those who are linked up with the will and the glory of God, these God determined, they shall look like my son Jesus. And that's what God is doing in our lives, day by day, moment by moment. And oh, the glory of it, that those whom he predestined, then he called, and those whom he called, he justified and those whom he justified, he glorified. That's the future part of it. We're aiming towards that. There's one other word you could add there if you wanted. He sanctified. This is the life of sanctification as the Holy Spirit works in our lives to make us holy. That just means make us look more and more like Jesus every day. And so salvation has this this present tense to it, and that's where we are now. But the glory is there's a future tense to salvation. The day is coming when Jesus returns, and I don't know when it is, and I, you know, I, I, I'm really not one to make all the charts and diagrams. I can make the charts and diagrams. I'm just that clever, but I don't... <laughs> I just don't think they do that much good. What you need to know is Jesus comes, and when he comes, he comes in glory, and that changes everything. Oh, I've told you the story. Bear's repeating because John's not here. But it used to be, you know, back, back when I used to watch football, uh, you know, God gave me victory over football on Sundays when God invented the, the VCR, and we started taping the games. And so uh, everybody in the church knew, don't, don't tell pastor what the score is, and the boys knew, don't tell, don't tell dad what the, the score is. And so we, there, there was a game that we had recorded and we went home to watch the game and we sat down and, and, uh, and we sat there and, and we're ready for the game to start and David and John, and you know, it's going to be a good, good thing we're going to watch the game together. And John turns to me and he says, Giants win. Now, you got to understand, he didn't tell me the score. You know, what was my problem? But the moment you know the Giants win, you'd look at that game all, all entirely differently. Redskins score? Who cares? So <laughs> what? They're gonna blow it. You know, it doesn't matter what. Once you know the final outcome, it redefines everything going on around you. Once you know that Jesus wins, Amen. Jesus wins, then everything else changes. The temporary, um, you know, advances and the scores and the and you know the, the things that happen that look like Satan's get ahead. You know, well that's just a temporary thing. Jesus wins, and that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, you know, when, when you're looking at all this stuff about being a Romans twelve Christian and it's hard to do and it's difficult and the, there's persecution and there's there's pushback by the world and all that. He says, remember this: Jesus wins. Our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Understand that the day is coming when every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, even those who were against him, every eye will see him. And in that moment, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and every knee is going to bow before him, and he will receive infinite praise, honor, and glory. And we get to be a part of it. And that changes how we view today. So we, we've got those three tenses of salvation, the, the past tense, um, the accomplishment. It's a sealed, done deal. And there's the present tense. It's being worked out in our lives uh, by God's grace and mercy. And there's a future tense in which the victory is won for the sake of the glory of God. And he says, now, you know what time it is. Paul says, you know what time it is, so wake up. Wake up out of your sort of trance-like life. He says, wake up, greet the day. Well, he doesn't say it exactly like that. The way, the way he says it is, the night is far spent. I almost said far spent. Uh, that's King James. That tells you, it tells you where I come from. Then he says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let's understand, yeah, there's going to be a struggle today. Yeah, there's going to be a clash between the darkness and the light today. But we are those whom God has translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We are those who are now living in the light and walking in the light and the darkness might seem oppressive. It might seem insurmountable. But God, who is light, gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. It says, wake up and greet the day. You know what it's going to have. But greet the day because God's going to do wonderful things in it. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. It's not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy. Most of you are saying, well, that's, that's pretty easy. I don't do those kinds of things anymore. But let let me tell you, every one of those has to do with the natural inclination of the sinful heart, whether expressed in the rank sort of uh, 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 overt presentations of sin, or whether it's just the the, um, the entertaining of the thought and of the motive of the heart contrary to the will of God. He says, "Nighttime is gone. We don't do those things in the daylight. We don't do those things in the daylight." Not anymore. Let's walk in a way appropriate to the daylight that God has given to us because we're in that middle stretch of the present salvation on the basis of the past looking forward to the future when Christ comes again. And so he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, oh, just just put on Jesus. That's your destiny, to look like Jesus. Just put him on. Don't wear your pajamas. Wear Jesus, you know, when you go out. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. But put on the Lord Jesus. And you know, almost this entire book of Romans has been about what it means to put on the Lord Jesus. And, and this translation says, and make no provision for the flesh. That word for provision actually means forethought, uh, and give no thought for the flesh. Um, I, I think a good way to translate it would be, and make no loopholes for the flesh. Don't make any exceptions for the flesh. Don't patiently explain to God why He's wrong to ask for a life of purity and holiness, but rather put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't leave any loopholes or any exception clauses, but just love Jesus that way. So Paul says to these Romans, he says, Look, it's time to wake up. It is time to wake up and live for Jesus. Now, uh, Years ago in Debbie's family, and I'm presuming she doesn't mind if I tell this story, Um, and if she does, well, well, I'll tell the story anyway. (laughs) She can't get me up here. But in in, in her family, one of her brothers uh, would 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 have trouble getting up. You know, Um, imagine that. You know, Um, and you know that stage of life and so forth. And so um, uh, I think it was your mom or. Somebody would call down, and, and they wouldn't say, are you up yet? It was, yup yet. Yup, yup. And he would reply, mop. <laughs> <laughs> and my challenge to you this week is every morning, every morning when that alarm goes off, and you're trying to figure out how many more minutes you can squeeze out of the bed i want you to hear the holy spirit say "Yup." and i want you to start with this prayer "Mup," because that that's a way of intentionally understanding that on the basis of what christ has done for us in the past looking forward to the glory that is ours in the future we are awake now in the presence to live for Christ, for the glory of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, when the Holy Spirit says, yup, you say, mop. Amen. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, how thankful we are that you are so patient with us. And uh, we have to come time and time and time again to relearn old lessons and to renew old commitments but father it is a source of joy to us that you welcome us every time and give us again the resources of the holy spirit and move us again to love you with our lives so father i pray for the folks in this room first your holy spirit would bring into your family would bring into your presence into our relationship with you through christ that person who doesn't know jesus yet And then I pray your Holy Spirit poured out upon us who claim his name. Father, that you would make us alive and awake, that we would live for you each day. I ask it in Jesus' name.